0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Report.
1: Going, going. Goodbye, baseball.
0: On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710Sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app.
1: Hello again, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Hot Stove 2020. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow down in Peoria, Arizona. A little cool and rainy out here, but right now the sun is going to come up tomorrow in Arizona. It's going to be about 74 degrees. Hi again, everybody. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill, Jr. And our very special guest here in the booth for the next uh, two hours here at our 710 ESPN Studios in downtown Seattle. Former Mariner pitcher does a great job for us on radio and television. Ryan Roland Smith, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I feel like we're we're back in the swing of it, man. I've been all over the place. We've been getting caught up in the last thirty minutes.
2: It's good to be back. Well, we thought with pitchers and catchers, we'd have an actual pitcher with yeah, us
1: reporting.
3: You, know,
2: you want me to dive into how it is, guys? Yes, because I've done it before. I've done it many years now. <laughs> it's a, it's a fun time. I will say it's um it's exciting. The team's optimistic. You see your friends again. You know, yeah, it, it's a good time of year.
1: How much fun is it once you finally get down there? You know, you spend the winter in your case in Australia and now you're making a lot of your time, you know, here in the Seattle area, or wherever you were, you know, in the minor leagues, waiting for a big league chance to actually get to spring training and lace up the spikes and the spikes go clickety clack over the concrete, onto the grass, and you walk out on the field for the first time. That's gotta be a great feeling at spring training. It's
2: the best. I mean you see guys that you've bonded with, you've 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 you know shared road trips with locker rooms for six months, you see your friends you're full of optimism, like I said. The energy's through the roof. About a week or so in, those brand-new spikes, you talk about the, the ones that go clickety-click. Yeah, they start I love to, that you, sound. Yeah, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I miss it. But, but the, uh, the toes start to you know, hurt a little bit. You're standing around a lot. The legs start to get sore. You're trying to you know, be a hero in the weight room, whatever it is. And then once you get week two, week three, and those games are, about, are on the horizon, that's when it yeah. gets fun.
1: It is a lot of fun. We can't wait. Pitchers and catchers tomorrow. We have a great show. Gary Hill has put together. Wonderful show tonight. In the first hour, we're going to visit with Mariner shortstop J.P. Crawford. The kid uh, played in almost 100 games last year coming up from AAA Tacoma. Did a nice job for the ball club. We're also going to visit with uh, Mariner's infield coach. Uh, he's been a major league coach for about 25, 26 years. Uh, Perry Hill is going to join us. So that's going to be interesting talking with Perry right on the heels of talking with J.P. Crawford because he really helped out J.P. during the course of last season. We'll also visit with Sam Dykstra from uh, minorleaguebaseball.com. He did a big story on uh, a preview of all the prospects in the American League West with the Astros, with the A's, with the Angels, Rangers, and, of course, the Mariners. So we'll talk with Sam in the first hour. In the second hour, we're going to talk with uh, Trevor Gooby, who is the senior vice president of baseball uh operation or rather ballpark operations out of t-mobile park and there's a lot of renovations going on right now there's going to be where lookout landing was high above the left field corner it's going to be the trident deck there's going to be new seating options in the uh terrace club level and other uh changes as well at the ballpark so we're going to visit with trevor gooby senior vice president of ballpark operations at the t-mobile park and also visit with greg johns who's down in arizona who uh, is the beat writer for MLB. dot com? And Gary, that's always interesting for the writers to get down there. We're going to find out a lot of great stories coming up here in the next uh, four or five.
3: Greg Johns has reported; he is yes. there,
1: and we can get underway with uh, with uh, the spring.
3: Yeah, and when Greg is down there. I lo- just the term pitchers and catchers. I just, I love it so much. I mean, it means finally after the long winter, baseball is finally here. When you hear ba- pitchers and catchers, I love it, yeah. and you know, this, you see the scenes of players on an actual field for the first time in months. It's yeah. it's so great. Usually, though, the first week it,
2: it's still chilly down there. I know because you, you, you know you're looking up the weather and everything else, and you're usually coming from a cold climate, especially here in the northwest. You get down there, it's still got a bit of bite yeah. in the air the first
3: couple of days. Although after the winter we've had here, oh, <laughs> I mean, like, just seeing the sunshine alone
1: feels like you're in Bali. <laughs> 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 I was down there a week and a half ago and. It was 72 75 degrees and it was just like ah oh. <laughs> 72 and, and you know when you when you feel is when you, you you land at the Phoenix International Airport and you walk you're walking toward the the exit of the plane and you, as soon as you walk off the plane boom you feel that heat yeah. and that warmth you go okay we're not in Kansas anymore Toto
2: Yeah and the, and the bright, there's a brightness to the sky as yeah, well Yeah there's the that- sun
1: <laughs> <laughs> That shiny orb in the sky <laughs> kind of warms things up I mean, I
3: guess it still exists. It's there. Okay. You've seen it. I've recently, seen it. So that's yeah, it good. there. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's good. It's been verified that the sun still exists. Because if you've spent your entire winter here, there's no way to really know that <laughs> it's
2: sure. still around. Yeah. See, I, I shouldn't be talking too much. I just go, I'm, you know, I'm fresh off the plane yeah. from Australia
1: yeah. a week and a half ago. So How hot is it down there during the it, summer down there, right? Yeah,
2: it's hot. For sure, and you know, I started to complain towards the end of it. I got off that plane here in Seattle. I was like, "Yeah, eh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get right <laughs> I'm not going to clear customs. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm out. Back to way.
1: Back clear." Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to get down there here in the next uh, few days. I'm going down on Sunday, Gary. When you're going to be going down there? Yeah, I'm going. I'll be game. down there
3: this weekend. So getting some work done, trying to get ready.
1: Yeah. Our first game down there, folks, is uh, February 22nd. Yeah, next Saturday, uh, early this year. Yeah. Against the San Diego Padres. Then uh, we play about a month down there. We open up the regular season right here at T-Mobile Park on March the 26th against the Texas Rangers. And a lot of changes in baseball, man. You know, guys flying around. Finally, the Mookie Betts trade. Finally, was traded by the White Sox to the Dodgers. It was put on hold for a while. They changed up a few names and uh, finally got that done. So a lot of changes. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It
3: was, it was fun. I really enjoyed the Betts saga after – after all the discussion about the Astros and everything else, it was fun to talk about. Yeah,
1: baseball a trade.
3: Yeah, it was fun <laughs> to talk about a trade. big, big trade, and that's a big trade. That has yeah. a lot of ramifications. Yeah, that was,
2: and and that's usually you look at Mookie Betts and think he's untouchable, regardless of the financial situation. If you're sliding into a rebuild, whatever you, if you're a big market team, he's one of these guys that just doesn't come along very often. I will put yeah. him in the same category as Mike Trout. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I was, was kind of shocked. I get it. There's reasons why. But yeah. uh, even the winter meetings, man, all these long-term deals. I, I didn't think this was going to be the trend. But all of a sudden, now they're locking up guys in their 30s, you know, seven, nine years. It's, it's,
1: it's great. Yeah, a lot of movement uh, over the last few weeks. We are getting ready for pitchers and catchers to report tomorrow. And right now, we're going to get ready to visit with uh, Mariner shortstop J.P. Crawford. J.P. is going to join us right here on Hot Stove right after this time out. Back to more
0: of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710Sports.com. And the 710 Seattle Sports App.
1: Hendricks ready to set. Long takes off again. 3-2 pitch. Swing it on soft liner down the left line. A fair ball into the corner. Long to third. He's going to be waved in. The ball hung up at the seats. Browning third heading home is long. The throw to the plate is late. Long scores. The Mariners win it. Four-to-three. 7th inning and a walk-off double by J.P. Crawford. One of the highlights for the young shortstop for the Mariners who took over that role last year and took a stranglehold on that position, young J.P. Crawford with a uh, walk-off double to win a ballgame scoring uh, shed long. J.P. is going to be our guest uh, here on Hot Stove uh, tonight. I was, was really impressed, guys. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And Ryan Roland Smith, with uh, the way when he came up, you know, from Triple A Tacoma early last year, working with Perry Hill, who's also going to be on the show a little bit later on tonight, the 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 improvement that this young man made defensively at shortstop, and one play that really stands out is the play deep in the hole, went way out there in shallow left field, twisting and turning, falling back, and he made the throw to the first base and was able to get the runner. But to see the, the maturation process for this yeah. young man was fun to watch.
2: Yeah, really was, and and he was coming from a situation with the Phillies, big time prospect, really trying to make a name for himself. Couldn't quite get that adjustment to be that everyday player. And last year, he got a good,
3: he put, he got his first chance really to do this every day. Yeah. yeah, glad you mentioned that play. I mean, that was the defensive play of the year last year, wasn't it? I think. I mean, so. it was one of the best plays yeah. in the majors last year. It. I was just looking at that uh, when I was thinking about JP coming into this show and. It's it's the kind of play you look at. And you shake your head, like, how in the world did he make that play? Yeah, how it's incredible, and it it's a it's a glimpse of the possibilities too, of him defensively. Yeah, and, of and what you, he can do
2: exactly, and that's that's my point too with the Phillies. Sometimes you come up for the first time, you're a young player. The weight of the world's on his shoulders. There's big expectations, yeah. and there's just not that comfort level. When he starts making plays like that, and then everything else you mentioned with Perry Hill. Working with him, all of a sudden you start to slide into that comfort level where you're playing every day, and all of a sudden that then transitions into what you do on the offense side as well.
1: Exactly, and we're going to see some vast improvements in in JP. Last year hit 226, seven home runs, 46 runs batted, and that is now a position where so many guys add the offense with the defense. We will see this young man, you know, do that as well. As the more games that he plays there, you know, this is your job. Go out there and and. Take over at shortstop and you'll yeah. see the difference offensively when you're on you know I'm going to be a lineup every day
2: I think too you know dealing, learning to deal with that you know O for four then 0 for eight coming back and playing the next day getting over that fatigue that mental fatigue that goes into being an everyday player learning to face lefties consistently when you you know walk up to the batters box have that good approach yeah. and you know you, you feel like you can start settling in. To that role, and he said it too. When he came up last year, he 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 took over that, that that position. He owned that, and all of a
3: sudden here he is, new home and yeah. good. His first thirty some games last year, pretty remarkable. I mean, slashed you know over three hundred, on base percentage over three eighty, you know, slugged five hundred, you know, over uh, eleven doubles in that stretch. I mean, he was really really good offensively, um, and again, I mean, you look at. Especially for a young player basically getting their feet wet, you see the glimpses of what he can be. Yeah. And especially that position. I mean, shortstop, it's it's hugely important, obviously. It is,
2: and it's so highly touted too. You have got you know, every organization has that line of prospects coming up in that shortstop, yeah, you know, in that shortstop position.
1: Exactly. And and I think that's what Jerry and the scouts saw when they made that trade for Gene Segura, you know, to the Philadelphia Phillies, the choir a very young J.P. Crawford, and it's going to be fun watching him, you know, take off at that position. And fortunately for J.P., he's got a veteran to his right in Kyle Seager. So Kyle is really going to help out with that process, you know, defensively at shortstop. Now he can pass along a lot of things because he's going to have Shed Long over there at second base, a young second baseman who was in the outfield last year and also played second base. And there's also Dee Gordon still on the ball club. To help out as well, so he's got D. Gordon to lean on, he's got Perry Hill, a coach to lean on, he's got Kyle Seager to lean on. So all the all the things are in place for JP to really blossom into a major league shortstop. Yeah,
2: if you can have that one voice, that one veteran to lean on, to listen to and trust what they're saying, what their process is, and learn. You know, being a young player like JP, you mentioned having Kyle Seager to his right, who you know fits that role so well to be. You know, a leader and a mentor for him, and, and you mentioned Perry Hill as well. Man, that makes all the difference. You come to a new team, again, <clears throat> you're trying to impress You know, impress everyone again. You're a first-rounder with another organization, come over in a big trade. Yeah. You can get that comfort,
3: man. You, you can do some special things. You're talking about infield defense, too, and I think, and we'll talk to Perry Hill about this, but I think infield defense in particular is going to be a big story for this team. Coming into this season, we saw the struggles defensively last year. Overall, especially early in the season, Mm -hmm. Uh, defense did improve as the season went on, but it it really struggled to begin the year. And I think with a healthy Kyle Seeger at third makes a big difference. I'm really excited to see Evan White at first base. I mean, you're pretty solid defensively at the corners, and you're looking for improvement up the middle from Crawford and Long as well. I think that's going to be one of the things that we'll watch is uh, especially when you have, you know, you, you don't have a ton of flamethrowers in the rotation, and it's important to be solid defensively, and that's going to be one of the storylines, I think, coming into the season. Yeah, you, you had the sense where the game sped up just a little bit
2: for some of these guys. Dylan Moore in the beginning of the year, you know, first chance playing in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, playing, he's playing all different kinds of positions. He doesn't have that, that, that set role really in, on the team, but... You start to see that, and it starts to snowball. It's contagious when, when that can happen. All of a sudden, you look around. You, you can read about it when you know you can, these young players. They all read about themselves now on social media about yeah. the defense and making those, you know, those those fundamental plays and everything else. But again, that's that's Perry Hill's got a yeah you know, a big challenge in front of him. There's
3: so much youth on this team. It's good to have a guy like Perry Hill around, though. Oh, I mean, when you're talking about yeah. having that much youth in the infield, having a guy. I mean, he's. He has been around. He has done this for a long time. He has one of the best reputations in baseball for molding defensive players.
1: This is a coach, I think one of the most highly touted coaches yeah. in the major leagues. Uh, Jerry did a heck of a job to get Perry Hill last year to bring him in with a very young ball club and now even a younger ball club this year to work with You know, a prospect like Evan White over at first base and J.P. as we talked about and, and Shed Long. And, and Kyle Seager, you know, even though you're a veteran, you still need that guy to lean on as well to, you know, keep you going during the course of the year. But this is a guy that has worked with uh, five Gold Glove winners, and the most recent one was D. Gordon mm-hmm. uh, about five years ago with the Miami Marlins. So, you know, it's fun talking with him. And, and when, you, when you watch Perry, when you talk with Perry Hill, because I like to get out to the ballpark early. He's already there, man. He's yeah. in uniform. He is ready. He's, his motor constantly is going, and he's got those guys out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon working on something. Time to go to work. Let's go. And you've got to love that, especially right now with so many young players on this ball club. You got to go out there and put in the work, and this guy is willing to work with them.
2: And you can tell he's made an impact on different guys around the league. You look, you, you look down during batting practice; he's given hugs, <laughs> yeah, high right. fives, handshakes with everyone. Every yeah. every visiting team comes in; they all know Perry Hill, and they all have their own stories. I mean, he's made an impact on that many guys, and you mentioned some of the gold gloves as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love watching him work and uh, his passion for the game of baseball, and his passion to help out these kids. Hot Stove 2020 continues live from our uh, 710 ESPN studios. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith. And we'll be back with more right after these messages. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710
0: ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports
1: app. Welcome back to Hot Stove 2020. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith. And our special guest tonight is a guy that's been around the game of baseball for a long, long time. Born in Kansas but grew up in Texas. Went to college in Texas. Played six years professionally. But he is one of the best coaches, I think, in the major leagues. Infield coach, Mariners infield coach, Perry Hill, joins us here in Hot Stove 2020. How you doing, Perry? Good, Riz.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: It's nice to have you here. Where are you right now? Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow, and how ready are you to get this spring underway? It's going to be a special spring.
4: It is. It is. We're all excited. Uh, I've been here for a few days. We've had some uh, organizational meetings, and and uh, some of the infielders have reported early, so we've got a little head start there. And uh, tomorrow's uh, we're having some physicals, and then the pitchers and catchers will be on the field on uh, Thursday, and we're all excited to get started.
1: Tell us a little bit about your thoughts about this spring with so many young players, Perry, coming in uh, this year that Jerry brought in.
4: Well, they're young, but they're talented. Hmm. And um, you, you, there's a lot to work with. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about our prospects, that that they're going to be extremely coachable. They all have tremendous work ethic. They're eager to learn. They want to play. And so you, you have all those, uh, assets on your side. Eventually you're becoming, you're going to become a very good major league player because they want to be good players. And like I said, they're very coachable, uh, tremendous work ethic. And of course we're going to be young. We're going to take some lumps, but we're going to, we're going to do well also. And in the long run, uh, I'm really excited about, uh, the prospects of these guys really maturing together as a group and uh, and what the future looks like for the Mariners.
3: When you're working with a young player for the first time, what kind of things are you looking at defensively?
4: Um, well, a lot of times I haven't seen a guy. I'll just see how he moves to the ball. Uh, you know, if he's uh, heavy-footed, uh, you know, if there's a lot of marks on the infield or if his feet are light, does he move well through the ball? Uh, where his hands are, position, are positioned, are they out in front or do they tend to lay back underneath his body? Um, things like that. Those are all teachable, coachable things, but those are the things you look for, the, the, the guys that can just kind of glide to and through the ball.
2: Hey, Per, i got a question for you. When you've got you know, new, new players and there's a lot of turnover here with the Mariners, a lot of young players, how long do you think it takes for them to really earn your trust and you know, to, to have that good relationship you know, with these young guys as you get into spring training?
4: Well, we've had, uh, you know, a, a lot of them were in were, were in camp last year and, and, and got that big league experience, and, and, and they've uh, seen how we operate, and we know how they operate. And so sure, there's going to be a feeling out period. Uh, you know, they're going to have to trust me. I'm going to have to trust them. Uh, you know, I, I have my certain beliefs and my program and the system that we have and i'm sure that you know they like a certain way of doing things and so i watch them they listen to me and we pick and choose what works and um i think that uh when you give them a voice and ask them what they think i think that that helps the relationship it's just not all a dictatorship you know we're in this together mm-hmm. i want to be able to help you tell me what you're thinking and then we can go from there
1: perry you did a great job of course with everybody working uh, with the infielders but I think the biggest impact may have been with uh, a young shortstop JP Crawford. JP started the year down at Triple-A Tacoma. Where was JP when he joined the ball club? When he came up to the big leagues with us, he was up and down the previous few years with the Philadelphia Phillies for a couple of games, handful of ball games. What did you get JP to do because he made some of the most incredible plays, you know, during the course of the season last year?
4: Well, <clears throat> He did some really incredible athletic plays, but what impressed me is um, we call it making the plays in the box, in the box. You know, we're a, we're a position where a player's positioned, And I always talk about four or five steps left, four or five steps, right, four or five steps back, four or five steps in and you connect those little dots. And there's a box there. Yeah. And if you make the plays that are in that box, you really, you're going to, you're going to win some games and you're going to really help your pitchers. And so what impressed me about J.P. is he made most of the plays in that box. And we all remember the play he made with the throw. Uh, yeah. That's a bonus. You know, when you go out of the box, I just tell him, be an athlete. But you're playing within the box. You need to be fundamentally sound and, and make those plays every time because you have you have fundamentals that you use, and you use the same ones every time to get a rhythm. And I think that was the most impressive thing to me about J.P. is that he made those plays in the box.
1: When you, when a kid makes a play like that, you work you working with him every day. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel like a proud papa inside that dugout when you see a play like that?
4: Well, there's there's a feeling of uh, a joy for him because I think he was I always been a talented player. He was the number one pick. Now I just think there was a little tweak or two that that all that, that uh, just needed to be made, and he uh, and he made it. And I think his footwork really improved, and that increased his direction and his distance toward first base. It gave, it gave him better direction, and he got closer to first base with some movement, and it just made his arm work better. You know, the, the, the better your feet are, your feet give you direction. Yeah. And if you can get proper direction toward your target, it makes your arm a lot smoother, a lot better, a lot more accurate. And I think that's the, that's the change he made, and to me it was very evident.
3: How important are the feet when you talk about the six F's of fielding?
4: Well, like I, like I just mentioned, that, that you, you know, as weird as it sounds, you throw with your feet. Because if your feet don't take you towards your target and get your left shoulder lined up with your target, it doesn't matter what your arm does. Your arm will have to change angles, and you'll get underneath the ball, and that's when you feel that nasty sinker in the first place. Mm-hmm. So your feet really make your arm move. And I kind of liken it to a, a basketball player playing defense. So that basketball player doesn't cross his feet when he plays defense and then take his hand out and try to reach and slap the ball away. But then he'll foul. You know, he'll reach across the guy and there'll be a reaching in foul. The basketball player moves his feet, never crosses his feet and tries to stay in front of his defender. And basically that's the same thing we do as infielders. We try not, we try to, to get angles and, and get our feet moving and creating distance and angles and direction toward our target. And, uh, when you do that, it makes your arm work.
2: Hey Perry, I got one for you. I noticed you know, you're on Twitter. You're, you're, you're vocal. You're hands on. You're that kind of coach, which which is kind of rare in the big leagues. Sometimes you know, sometimes you let the, these older guys do their thing. But you know, in 2020 there is just there's so many gurus out there. I find this with pitching online. You ever go through and, and check out you know different trends or what guys are doing, philosophies or drills, and say, hey, I'm going to try this out. I
4: I I. I... Yeah, yes, I do. I I check, I, I look at most everything and then, uh, you know, I just kind of process it myself and then, um, see if I think it's, you know, uh, worthwhile. And, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, there are a lot of gimmicks out there. Uh, but I find out that just good old fashioned hard work and, uh, to me, uh, and you'll, you can probably relate to this because uh, a few years ago, you know, you, the wall is a really good teacher throwing the ball up against the wall and fielding it yourself with the proper fundamentals is a great teacher. And you can come to our spring training complex and some mornings you'll just hear a thud, a thud, a thud. And we'll have a couple of infillers out there throwing the ball against the wall, uh, getting into good fielding positions, finding their rhythm, letting their hands work, making their feet simulate work like they're throwing to first base and uh, you can get a lot of work done by yourself against the wall before you even step out on the field. And I think just things just as simple as that can really iron out some kinks.
1: So, Perry, who were some of the coaches who had a great influence on you, and can you still hear those guys telling you uh, inside your brain uh, when you're talking to these kids now?
4: Well, Toby Hare and Buddy Bell were really – really uh, 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 instrumental to me they you know i believed in, in, in me a, a long time ago and and they taught me a lot buddy taught me a lot about third base play and uh toby was a really good uh, for, for confidence toby was never in a bad mood he was always in a good upbeat mood made everybody feel good made you feel like you were wanted that that you you that, that you were needed and uh, those two guys really had a big influence on by uh, giving me confidence uh, to go ahead and pursue my
5: career.
3: I want to know about 2003 winning the world series. What do you remember about winning it with the Marlins over the Yankees?
4: Oh, uh, that was a, that was a tremendous year. Um, it's one of those years that, you know, we got off to a really bad start. I think we were like 12 or 13 games under 500 in, in May, and then things just turned around and we were a really good team the rest of the year. Um, that was the uh, the 100th anniversary of the World Series, which also made it special. It was also the year that uh, we were down three games, to one for the Cubs to even get to the World Series and came back and won three games in a row against Pryor, Zambrano, and Wood. And that was also, <laughs> if you'll remember, that was the Bartman wow. incident in left field. Yeah, so I was right. fortunate enough to be on the field and see a lot of that stuff. Uh, I felt sorry for a lot of people that it happened to. But it was fortunate; that it gave us a break. As a matter of fact, I was telling that story tonight to a couple of coaches that uh, we were behind three to one with one out in the eighth inning, and we were down three games to one. And that incident happened down the left field line. Fifteen minutes later, the score was eight to three, Marlins. So it just things just turned in a heartbeat. Uh, we won that game and won the next two, and went on to a World Series and beat the Yankees four games to two.
2: Hey, Perry, I mean, did you ever combine? You know, you've been here twenty nineteen your first year, now 2020, do you ever, you know, look at this roster, look where you guys are at as an organization and compare it to any team or any year that you've had in your career?
4: We were very young one year when I was in Detroit. Uh, we had some young infielders uh, besides uh, Travis Fryman was, uh, was, the, was the older guy. But we had a guy named Debbie Cruz, Damian Easley, and Tony Clark, who is now the uh, Players Union president. He was the first baseman on that team. And and, and that was a young group, uh, minus uh, Travis Fryman. And uh, uh, there were some uh, growing pains there. But, again, they had such tremendous work ethic, and they wanted to get better. They were very coachable, and you had to, like, chase them off the field in the afternoon. And I think that's the vibe I get from this group. Uh, and uh, that's the one I kind of draw a parallel line to, is that these, these guys uh, – are, are, they seem to be that way, and uh, I don't I don't think that this team is, is uh, being overhyped. These kids are, I think they're really good players, and I think because of their work ethic and their attitude and who they are, I think they can do nothing but get better. I think that's in their DNA. I think that's just the way they're made up. And like I said earlier, I'm really excited about being able to work with this group.
1: Visiting with Mariners infield coach Perry Hill. Perry, let's talk about one of those kids. We're going to talk about a lot of those kids here in the next uh, few days, especially when we get down there. But Evan White, we've heard so much about Evan White. He was given a six-year major league contract by the organization, so that tells you what Jerry and the organization thinks about Evan White as a player and his future with this ball club. But we've heard so much about his defense. Uh, what, What makes this kid so good over there at first base, Perry?
4: Well, Number one, I think he's confident. I think he, I think he, he believes in himself, and and he and he knows what he's doing. Uh, I only saw him play a handful of games in spring training last year, but uh, I know that he does the right things. He's in the right spot on bump plays and cutoff and relays and and things that things you can't control. He controls. You know, sometimes you can't control a bad hop, or sometimes you get a bad grip and you throw a ball away. Those things happen. We understand that. But things that he can control, being in the right spot at the right time, I never remember him being out of position. And that's a really good trait to have when you're young, your first big league camp, when you're nervous to begin with. And so that kind of stood out to me.
3: There are so many times that we get to the ballpark and we're in the booth getting our our work done in the (laughs) afternoon, and we look down on the field, and there you are going through a drill with an infielder. Is it just trial and error over the course of time that you've amassed your collection of drills? How do you go about it?
4: Well, just what you said, uh, it, it's just, you know, tinkering with things as, uh, as the years go by, um, you know, I, I do things maybe a little bit different than some other coaches, but that's what, that's what makes the game fun. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no right or wrong way. And, uh, everybody has their own opinion and their, their way of doing things. You know, the old saying: There's, there's nine ways to skin a cat. You know, there's so there's a uh, there's there's a lot of ways to uh, to get things done. I just I have my beliefs and I have my convictions, and uh, and that's the way I go about things. Um, you know, I I I, I kind of creep along in my drills. I roll more balls than I probably hit early in a drill because I want to see them do the fundamental things right. It does me no good to go up to home plate and start whacking ground balls. And then stop the drill and have to walk out there and explain and talk about something. I would rather roll the balls and make sure I see what I need to see, because I can control where I roll it. I know where I want to roll it, what speed I want to roll it. And I want to see their feet, how they react, how they get the ball prepared to throw and all those things fit together. Like I want them to, then that's when I back up and start, you know, hitting the ground ball and do some other uh, things to make the drill speed up. But, You know, I'm always one of those guys that believe that every single day you start at the basement and you build up. It does you no good to start on the 10th floor. (laughs) If if the 10th floor, something's wrong, then you got to go all the way back down to the basement anyway. Let's just start at the basement to begin with, make sure everything's fine, and work up and build up. And I don't care if it's February the 15th, the first, first day of spring training or September 28th, the last day of the season, I'll always start my work and, and drill work by rolling balls to make sure I see what I want to see before I move on.
1: Visiting with Perry Hill of the, the Mariners' infield coach. Uh, Perry, what's the communication like between the Major League coaches and the coaches down in the minor leagues when the kids advance from rookie ball to A ball to double A, then you start to see them at uh, triple A, then you, then you get a chance to get them and and get your hands on them you know when they when they hit the major league level. What's that communication like between the coaching staff in the minor leagues to, to get these guys on the right path so when, when, when they get to you, you know you got something to really mold into a big league player?
4: Well we're very for- fortunate to have uh, Darren Brown and Roy Howland, in AAA, two tremendous coaches that um, teach our program. And teach it very well and so if a player is there i know they're getting i know they're getting the instruction and getting the work that they need to and if they passed up to us they'll always call me tell me about the progress what they expect mm-hmm. what they're doing well maybe what they're working on and just the, the other way around if somebody has to be sent down and we communicate with those two uh roy and darren and and so they'll know what they need to work on when they get down there. So it's, it's, it, there's a lot of communication, a lot of phone calls, text, and um, it's a really good setup because uh, there's no egos involved. Uh, we, they try to get players ready for us, and if something goes wrong up here, we send them there and they get them ready again for us. They do a tremendous job.
1: Well, I know one thing, Perry, when these kids get here and uh, the veterans as well, They get a chance to work with one of the best in the business, and that's you, Perry. And uh, we're very fortunate to have you on the staff last year and again this year. And I'm really looking forward to watching the maturation process, especially the young players on this team working with you, seeing you and those kids out there early in the afternoon getting ready for a ball game. So, uh, Perry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Can't wait to see you down in Arizona here in the next uh, few days at the start of spring training. great.
4: Great. Look forward to seeing all of you. Thanks for
1: having me. You're welcome. Perry Hill, our guest uh, here on Hot Stove. We're going to be back, and we're going to visit with Sam Dykstra, who is with uh, MinorLeagueBaseball.com, did uh, a special feature on the top prospects in the American League West. We'll visit with uh, Sam as Hot Stove continues right after this timeout. Back to more
0: of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app.
1: Winding down the first hour of Hot Stove tonight, 2020, Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith, and our special guest right now is writer Sam Dykstra. Sam uh, joins us here on Hot Stove. Sam just did an article previewing the uh, prospect's. The top prospects in the American League West, and there's a lot of them. Sam, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Sam, let's start off with uh, our organization. Jerry Depoto took uh, the Mariners from, I think, about the 29th farm system in baseball a few years ago, made all those trades, and really loaded up with a lot of good young talent, a lot of prospects right now. I think depending upon what rating system you're looking at, about the 10th or 11th best farm system in baseball this past year. So, the Mariners are loaded with good young talent. In In writing this special article, uh, what did you find out about the Mariners organization and those young players?
5: Yeah, so one thing I'll, I will tease a little bit is actually we're doing a farm system rankings right now. Uh, this week is on position players. We'll be breaking down our top 10 farm system groups by position players tomorrow. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but Mariners fans can be very happy about where the the position player group is placing there uh, for this article you're talking about here. This was uh, using steamer 600 projections and looking forward at just the 2020 season, not forward at potential or anything like that. So Julio Rodriguez, which is a name I know a lot of Seattle fans are getting used to and getting very excited about doesn't exactly rank very highly for 2020, but obviously we know big things are ahead for him 2021 and moving forward there. Um, looking at 2020, I'm actually really excited at the projections for a player like Logan Out Al- or Logan Gilbert, who you know is the top pitching prospect right now for the M's, uh, former first round pick. A lot to like there for him coming off a season in which he had a 2.13 ERA and 165 strikeouts and 135 innings pitched, pitched at three different levels. The projections really like him in what would be his second full season. Uh, comparing him to some of the other potential starting pitchers for the Mariners, he would have the fourth highest war wins above replacement. Uh, if they plugged him into the starting rotation day one, let him have 200 innings, which is what these projection systems give uh, for all starting pitchers. They would think he would have a four, seven, nine ERA, uh, 1.33 whip, which would actually be lowest among Seattle starters. Uh, and this is a guy who was yet to pitch above double a. So for him to have these projections already, uh, is really enticing. Obviously, he's not going to start out the year in Seattle. We know that. He's likely to be back at Double A Arkansas. But if this is just the base level for him and if he can keep it going after 2019, these projections are only going to get better. And it's not that difficult to see him potentially in the rotation by the second half when maybe that's not something I would have thought before I put this together.
3: Speaking of starters, where do Dunn and Sheffield kind of fall in this?
5: Yeah. So Dunn and Sheffield are obviously much more major league ready guys who have actually gotten major league time. Uh, they don't have the minor league numbers necessarily that a Gilbert does, but Dunn and Sheffield actually rank fifth and sixth among potential Mariners starting pitchers in war. Dunn came in at 1.5. Sheffield came in at 1.2. When we're talking about differences of decimal places in terms of wins above replacement, that's not big enough to say, Hey, Gilbert should actually get a longer look. Uh, Dunn and Sheffield, I think should be in the starting rotation from day one. I know Dunn had some problems last year in the majors, particularly in in his debut outing. Uh, But when you look at, you know, how this rotation is kind of coming together right now, those two could slot into those four and five spots. They just need to get that major league experience, Um, sending him back to Tacoma for Dunn. That would be his first time at Tacoma. I know that, but uh, sending him back there, to play in the PCL and get shelled there. I don't think he's going to learn much and grow from it as much as he would in the majors getting used to that atmosphere. Uh, So to see those guys come in at fifth and sixth among potential Seattle starters, I think is a good starting point. And again, they're young enough in their careers, uh, even though they've been in the the minors for a little bit of time and and done was a college pitcher. uh, They're still young enough that this is, we should look at this as a base level and, you know, they have the potential to grow off of that as they gain that much more experience.
2: Hey Sam, you said right now you, you're starting to rank the position players um, throughout the throughout the organizations. With, with the Mariners, when you're talking about the position players, how many of these guys, you know, is, is the bulk of these guys? We're we looking at 2020 or more 2021 when you're looking at um, you know some of the big prospects with the Mariners.
5: Yeah, so for the big ones, and I think the big ones have to start with Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez. Those are guys we're talking about more for 2021. I think it's possible that they could surprise, especially with Kelnick finishing last year at Double A Arkansas. Uh, for me, anytime a guy finishes the year Double A, they are at least a candidate to make the majors the following season. Uh, Rodriguez didn't get that chance mostly because of injuries. Uh, you know, he had a fracture in his left hand that caused him to miss a lot of time. But obviously, the M's love him. Uh, they pushed him aggressively. They moved him straight stateside last year at just age eighteen. They got into the Cal League. At age 18, they moved him to the Arizona Fall League. At age 18, um, but you know, to ask a player to make his major league debut in his age 19 season, I think is asking a little too bit, a little uh, too much. Uh, Kelnick, this will be his age 20 season. He's turning 21 in July. Again, I think it's going to come to the point where he might look major league ready in the second half. I think he could certainly make Tacoma after the All Star break. Uh, but at that point, you're talking about what are we bringing him up for? Are we bringing him up just to get a little bit of taste? Or are we bringing him up uh, to waste service time? How does that all kind of come together? So when we're talking about the two biggest prospects here, I think we're talking more about 2021. I know you guys talked last segment about Evan White. Obviously, he's a 2020 option. Don in Sheffield, we talked about it as well. Uh, I know those are more pictures or Done in Sheffield their pitchers, but White is obviously a 2020 option. But when we're looking at this core of the farm system now, I think we have to look a little bit further into the future.
1: Visiting with writer Sam Dystra, who uh, came up with a great article about the prospects in the American League West. We'll get to the other teams, but we've got a few more kids to talk about here. I think developing uh, a major league catcher is one of the toughest things to do uh, in baseball, and the Mariners have a good young catcher in Cal Raleigh. What can you tell us about Cal Raleigh, and uh, when do you project him to be in the big leagues?
5: Yeah, I mean, Cal Raleigh's right in that spot with, with Kelnick. I think, in in terms of, you know, he finished last year at Arkansas. The numbers came down a bit coming from Modesto, but at Modesto he really took off uh, 22 home runs there and 872 yeah. OPS. Uh, he's more of a power-hitting catcher. There is a little bit of a question about, you know, how is he going to stick behind home plate? I know there's some questions about his arm Uh, he's 23, so he's certainly going to put himself on the radar for a call-up this year if he can continue to show that power. Uh, You know, you look at what the Mariners have right now at catching. Uh, Tom Murphy, you know, is is a good offensive player, but we'll see what he can kind of turn into, who is going to be that backup role for them. Uh, I think Kyle Raleigh could become that. He's not going to become a barn burner in terms of a major league starting catcher. Uh, but the pieces are there at least offensively for him to be a good bat, and it certainly helps that he's a switch hitter.
3: Turning our attention to some of the other teams, I want to start with the Oakland A's, you know, won 97 games two years in a row with some weakness in the starting rotation, but it looks like they have some really interesting guys that could really help out the starting rotation starting next year.
5: Yeah, and that that was kind of the downside of, of doing this story, um, you know, doing it on Steamer 600 projections because Steamer, the projection system, can only go off what it is seeing. And mm-hmm. both Hazel Suzardo and A.J. Puck, who are the guys you're alluding to there, two left-handed pitchers, both project to be really good starting pitchers. The A's brought them up last year for that playoff push. Luzardo actually featured in the wild card game. They trusted him enough to eat up big innings in that game. Uh, but they only pitched in relief. So when we look at the projections, Steamer's not going to say like, Oh, Hey, we have these scouting reports. It's not looking at that. It's looking at raw data. Uh, so it projected them to be relievers. So if you go to my story and you're wondering why they're not the leads or why they're not featuring high in in the war table, that's because the steamer can only project them as relievers right now. They'd be really good relievers, but I think both can be starters. Uh, both are going to be interesting to follow this year because they could be on a bit of an innings limit. Puck last year was coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, missed much of the year and was getting worked back up as the season went along. Luzardo has had his own issues. He's dealt with shoulder problems in the past. He has Tommy John uh, back from a few years ago. He only threw 43 innings in the minors last year, 12 in the majors. But if both of those guys are on their game and they can work them out, maybe skip a start here and there, maybe cut them off at five innings, only allow them to go two times through the lineup in a couple starts both have the potential to be one, two in that Oakland rotation. Luzardo throws really hard. He's got one of the best change-ups I've ever seen from a left-hander. He's got really, really good control. Uh, puck is more of a hard thrower. He's tall at six, seven. Uh, the nickname that gets attached to him a lot is the little big unit. And if you see him pitch, you know why his fastball is plus, plus His slider is potentially plus, plus, uh, he, had some trouble with the control here and there and that can limit its ceiling but uh if we're talking at the end of the year as luzardo is the best pitcher for oakland and puck being the second best pitcher for oakland even though this is technically their rookie season it wouldn't surprise me uh one bit
2: hey sam the angels made a big splash in the winter meetings telling everyone they're going to go for a 2020 do they have enough enough to get excited about enough depth in their system to really have a, a good run
5: uh, in terms of depth, I, I wouldn't say that. They do have one exciting player, obviously, in Joe Adele, right. uh, who following the news this week, we all thought Jock Peterson was going to the Angels. That shocked me a little bit because I thought they were holding the right field spot open for Adele, hoping he would be ready. Adele is a true five-tool player. Uh, if you ever look at his scouting report, it's pluses across the board. He can hit, he can hit for power, he can run, he can field, he can throw. He's going to feature really well. Next to Mike Trout for the long term. Uh, and they also have Brandon Marsh, who's another outfielder. And maybe as Justin Upton ages, Brandon Marsh also takes over in left field. And that makes for one heck of an outfield. Uh, the where they struggle, I think, is in pitching. Uh, Patrick Sandoval made the majors last year, but his ceiling is kind of limited to maybe a four at best, uh, in a starting rotation and more likely as kind of a swing man. We'll see how that goes. Uh, the, you know, the top of the, the, chain there for the Angels is very exciting and they are closing in. Both Marsh and Adele will start out at AAA Salt Lake this year, uh, but it kind of crumbles from there and that's why you, you know you saw them in the market for Garrett Cole and they eventually signed Anthony Rendon is because they needed to fill their holes with free agents. They couldn't just do it internally. Once Adele comes up, that's going to be a really exciting lineup. I can't wait to see it. The pitching is the bigger question for me in LA.
1: Visiting with writer Sam Dykstra talking about the prospects in the American League West and We saw the Houston Astros uh, call up a number of young players who contributed last year to over 100 wins, a Kyle Tucker and other players as well. What do they have in the farm system right now? And they're going to take a hit not having a first or second-round pick this year and next year because of of what happened over the last uh, few months. So who's coming up with the Astros?
5: Yeah, the Astros are obviously at a very interesting time in, in their farm system right now. We were already down on them to begin with. They only have one top 100 prospect at present, in Forrest Whitley. Uh, a lot of people thought he was the best pitching prospect in baseball last year. Uh, then he put up an ERA in the four digits in Triple A. Really had some struggles with his command and his control. Uh, had to be sent down. He had some shoulder issues. Tried to work that back. Ended up leading the Arizona Fall League in strikeouts. So at least there's a little bit of optimism there. He could potentially enter the rotation this year. Jose Urqu- Urquidy, uh, could also do that i know some people think of him as a top 100 prospect after that it really flattens out uh trying to find you know who is going to be that next kyle tucker now that tucker is kind of graduated is is pretty difficult i like abraham toro who made a little bit of a splash last year when he got called up but he's a third baseman by trade uh he's a former catcher but i don't see them moving him back there it's going to be it nearly impossible for him to unseat Alex Bregman, obviously so where do you play him they're going to have to figure that out uh not having a first or second round pick the next few years is going to be difficult we're probably going to have to see them be players on the international market if they're going to get potential top 100 prospects again because they didn't get penalized on that side um but not having you know somebody to fill in behind Whitley when he graduates is going to be really difficult, and you know it might be a few years until this Astros farm system can be built up to a point where we're talking about it, ranking it somewhere in the top half.
3: The Rangers made some moves this offseason to try and move up the ladder a little bit in the division, although they could probably use some young impact as well. Is there anything next year that looks like they'll get that impact?
5: Yeah, I mean, I really like Nick Solak, a position player they got Last year, uh, Solak came up, played a couple games for Texas at the end of the year. Uh, He's been spread out all across the minors so far. He was drafted by the Yankees. He was picked up by the Rays. Now he's with the Rangers. The Yankees and Rays have two really good developmental pipelines. Uh, So on one side, it's interesting that both of those groups traded him away. But on the other side, he's a valuable commodity. He can play both second base and outfield. He had an 884 OPS during his time in, in the majors last year over 116 at-bats, so he's barely on the cusp of graduation. Uh, I think he's kind of a sleeper in terms of AL Rookies of the Year picks, uh, and the the projections certainly back that up. Uh, they think he would have a 98 WRC plus this year, just below average. I think he's capable of beating that, and he would be worth around two war for a full season. Again, I think he can beat that just because of that is that good. One other guy to watch with the Rangers specifically for 2020 is Joe Palumbo. Uh, he struggled last year during his time in the majors, but at least he got up there. Uh, and the, the projections are pretty high on him because he is somebody who can usually hit his spots and was racking up the strikeouts at a pretty elite level last year in, in the minors, he struck out 108 guys in only 80 and two thirds innings between double A AA and triple A, uh, Right now, Steamer believes he's a two and a half war player, uh, fits in quite nicely in that Rangers rotation. We'll see how he fits in. Cause like you said, the Rangers have made moves to really try to compete in this crowded AL West. Joe Palumbo is not going to get there, get them there alone, but having somebody who could be their number three or four starter already built in and only going to grow from there, uh, certainly helpful going into 2020.
1: Sam, a number of times tonight you've mentioned Steamer, the Steamer 600. When to watch the Major League Baseball Network and Brian Kenny. it's the shredder. Tell me a little bit about the Steamer 600, 600 and the rating system you use to look at all the kids in this organization and the others in the American League West.
5: Yeah, so Steamer 600 is something I, I take from Fangraphs. This is all on Fangraphs. It's publicly available. Anybody can go check it out. Uh, the point of my stories is trying to kind of call all that together and identify prospects who might be closer to the majors than we thought, or, you know, potential rookie of the year picks. How, How do we project them forward over a full season? I use steamer 600 because it puts everybody on the same level. 600 stands for 600 plate appearances. That means position players get 600 plate appearances. Catchers get 450 starting pitchers get 200 innings and relievers, uh, Get sixty-five innings. Uh, the what the reason I do that is because if you start to break it down by playing time, it gets a little less fun for my purposes. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to say a Double A player is going to get very limited time at the majors. That doesn't tell me anything. What I want to know is if he got called up on opening day, what would he do from late March all the way through September? Um, so, yeah, I know Shredder is a little bit different for MLB Network. What Steamer does is it takes previous stats. It, it, uses minor league stats it takes what level they performed at whether it was triple a double a class a advanced class a what have you it takes age into account all that kind of stuff and spits out the numbers that you see in this story
1: i know it had to be a lot of work and it gives us an insight to who's coming and that's what it's all about i think at the game of baseball especially this spring for the seattle mariners more so than any spring in in a long long time sam thanks a lot for joining us here on hot stove tonight yeah, thanks so much, guys. Have a good night. You're welcome. Sam Dykstra from MinorLeagueBaseball.com looking at the prospects in the American League West. We're getting ready for the second hour here on Hot Stove, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to visit here in the first uh, section of the second hour of the show with Trevor Gooby, who is the Senior Vice President of Ballpark Operations. We'll also visit with uh, beat writer Greg Johns as well. Stay tuned. The second hour of Hot Stove is coming your way right after this. This is the Hot
0: Stove Report.
1: Go! On 710
0: ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Someone once said, you don't grip a baseball. A baseball grips you. It fills our days and brightens our nights. Over the course of a season in the span of a lifetime. We share hope, drama, and joy. It brings us all closer together, nine innings at a time. It's the game we live. It's the game we love.
1: Welcome back, baseball. Welcome back. My oh my! If that voice doesn't give you goosebumps or make the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up, maybe even put a tear in your eye. Uh, nothing will. The voice of uh, the late great Dave Niehaus, who I had the p- privilege of working with for 25 years, and I never ever get tired of listening to David do that. Every time, beautiful.
3: Every time I think about pitchers and catchers, that is my first thought. Yeah. What we just heard. Yeah. Every
2: time. Yeah, I remember the first big league camp of the Mariners. Walk in, I feel like I'm a nobody. Dave came right up to me. He's like, hey, you're from Australia. I've been to Australia, my wife and I. I was like, wow, I feel big time. Dave Nehouse is coming right up to me. I can't believe it. Uh,
1: oh man, I, I sat with him for a long time, and I was sat next to him, and I was just amazed each and every night the way that he would uh, capture the uh, the thrill of a ball game and. And more so even in, during the lean years. And there were a lot of lean years right. and rough, rough seasons and long ball games. We had Dave Niehaus. And uh, we didn't have our first winning season until 1991 from 1977. But David made it all come alive for us. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2008. He threw out the first pitch in uh, Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park history back on July, what, 15th of 1999, and will always be remembered. He's got a statue out at T-Mobile Park out there in right center field, and uh, I love hearing his voice. It means so much to all of us, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely. It really does. It's the best way to start the baseball season.
1: Let's do it. <laughs> Let's start our broadcast with that down at uh, Spring Training with uh, the voice of Dave Niehaus. Coming up next, we're going to visit with uh, – Trevor Gooby, who is the Senior Vice President of Ballpark Operations on a T-Mobile park. David talking about, you know, what it's like to walk into a great ballpark, and we have one right here in Seattle. We'll be back with Trevor right after these time out, this time out. All
0: things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports
1: app hey everybody welcome back to hot stove 2020 this reminder mariners are changing the game with our all new flex membership go to the games you want sit in the seats you want and get the savings you want all when you want for more information on how to choose your membership and enjoy discounted seats all season long visit mariners.com slash flex and when you come out to t-mobile park you're going to see some changes uh out of t-mobile during the course of the offseason a lot of work is going on we have a chance now to visit with Senior Vice President of the Ballpark Operations out of T-Mobile, Trevor Gooby, joins us. Trevor, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm, I'm great, Rick. How are you? I'm doing fine, buddy. Had a chance to see you a couple of nights ago. Gave a bunch of kids a tour of the ballpark. Uh, how's the field looking? I know Bob Christofferson has been real busy <laughs> laying down a brand-new playing surface out there at T-Mobile.
6: Yes. Uh, well, I'm happy to report today that we have a full field of green grass that was just installed today, so we uh have a few more days for that grass to grow in, but Bob and his crew have done a great job getting everything ready for opening day
3: it, I bet he's at it uh, twenty four hours a day at this point. He probably usually is during the season anyway <laughs> right there right probably now. more so now
6: yeah. <laughs> We have the grow, we have the gruel lights on the field, and uh, yeah he is uh he is very it's like- it was like Christmas morning for him today when all the grass hmm. was finally installed, hmm. so we're in a good place.
3: I know there's some changes to the ballpark. I mean, I'm an audio guy, so I'm excited about this one. A new sound system at the park, right?
6: Yeah, it was um, you know it's almost 20 21 years old uh, the existing sound system. So that was one of the big prog- projects that we worked on this off season. Um, you know, we heard from a lot of fans that you know different sections that they were sit- uh, sitting in throughout the ballpark that they couldn't hear the music or they couldn't hear the PA announcer. So worked with our uh audio team to make sure that we were able to fix that issue and a brand new sound system and uh that project is almost finished and will be ready here by opening day so real excited about that one.
3: Okay, I've been watching this project unfold from the booth during the course of the off season. Do you, do you know how many speakers that you have put put in cuz it looks like a ton. It's it was it's
6: pretty amazing because people are asking me like you know, oh, just change the sound system. I don't think anyone realizes you know the hundreds and hundreds of speakers yeah. that we have throughout the ballpark attached to very high access areas throughout the ballpark, so it's really been amazing to watch these guys set up scaffolding, lower the speakers down, reattach the new speakers, cable all of them throughout the ballpark it It's really done they've done a great job with it, and we started hearing some of the music today, and it sounds. Really, really great. So we're excited about
2: that. Hey Trevor, last week the Mariners unveiled the new Trident Deck, formerly Lookout Landing up on the three hundred level. Now, if I'm gonna ditch these guys in the middle of the game, go get a cold <laughs> beer like I usually do, you know what, what can what can fans and myself expect out there at the at the new Trident deck?
6: Well, that's a it's a great spot to do that, Ryan. Um <laughs> basically it's the old lookout landing. Um what we were able to do was there was a, a bar up there that was blocking a lot of the views from the, the Puget Sound. So we actually tore that bar down, and we, we built it uh, closer to the uh, stands. So we're really able to open up the uh, the view of the, the Puget Sound, and it's going to be a really neat area. Our marketing team's done a really great job branding it. Uh, people love that Trident logo, so we're going to have some really cool features up there for that. Groups can rent it out and have a private area for the – their friends and family, things like that, or when it's not sold to groups, it's an open space, and it's going to be a really fun area. Kind of think of like a, a rooftop bar kind of scene here in Seattle in the summer. That's kind of what the look is that we're going for.
2: And do these decisions, you know, like something like the new Trident deck, which sounds awesome the way you describe it, does this come from fan feedback? Like a lot of these new features, is this something that you know stems from fan feedback or just you, know, you guys walking around trying to figure this thing out to make this place even better than what it is?
6: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. You know, we, we definitely we have focus group with, with fans. We're asking them, you know, what do they want to see at the ballpark? So we're hearing from them, but then we're also looking at what are some of the new features that other stadiums or other venues around the country are having. And, you know, the the whole idea of these gathering spaces and these areas where people can watch the game but then also take time to spend with their friends and family, that's kind of the concept that we went with. And all the features that the new parts of the ballpark that we're going to have, all of those kind of have that concept. So great gathering spaces and just really great areas to hang out and social spaces for people to just enjoy a, a great afternoon or evening
1: at the ballpark. Let's talk about another space. Also on the 300 level, there's going to be a rooftop boardwalk, which will be a spectacular pregame meeting place for the fans. Uh, What can fans expect when they explore the rooftop boardwalk, Trevor?
6: So I think this one is probably the one I'm most excited about. We have, you know, if you go up there on a summer afternoon or summer evening to watch the the sunset, um, you, you would go up there and you'd see people standing on the picnic tables up there trying to take some views because the, the wall that was, uh, right over First Avenue was mm-hmm. higher than, uh, the, than people could see over the side. So we were able to come up with this concept. So we we're able to raise this boardwalk almost about, uh, two feet. So people will now be able to be elevated and see these great, you know, great vistas and great wow. views. Yeah. Um, and we we're able to actually add some televisions, some really fun things with, uh, for kids up there. So you still have that interconnection between the game and the, the great outside atmosphere and some new concession stands as well. So it should be a really fun uh, social space for people. So that should be a really, really fun one, and that's going to be open every game uh, for people to be able to hang
1: out and enjoy that space. Can we do a broadcast up there? Yes. Now we're talking. You know, I
6: think that yeah. would be a good spot. That'd be think, fun, uh, wouldn't it? You know, we're t- talking to Kevin Martinez about making sure that you guys might be able to broadcast. You can't see the game, but you have to watch it on TV. Oh.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that <laughs> would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Great view of Mount Rainier, but we can't see second base, right?
3: I'll Give us a monitor. We'll yeah, just call it from know, the television.
6: <laughs> but I think it'll be a really fun space for our fans to be able to hang out there in between innings, or, you know, maybe a couple innings they want to hang out with their friends. And so it should be a fun space.
3: As I've been at the park, too, I've been watching some work on the terrace club level. So there are some new seating options there, I understand.
6: Yeah, you know, we, again, talking to fans and kind of hearing what they're looking for. And, um, and what other ballparks had, we were able to create these loge boxes in the terrace club. There's two different types of seating. There's a loge box, which basically is a four person couch, uh, with a, with a countertop with some, uh, televisions. And then we were able to create these terrace tables, which is a, uh, like a half moon table with, uh, chairs that people could basically bring, uh, four friends and be able to hang out in this pri- private area, working with some, uh, restaurants here locally try to, step up the game on the food and beverage in that area Uh, you have your own private television so you know it's it's a basically think of a suite but just a smaller version of that um and so people have been really excited about that as well great views from the fields um right on the club terrace area so on the uh first base side of the ballpark and really really excited about that we've had some really great um support so far from the fans wanting to purchase those tickets
3: you said couch did i hear that right
6: Couch, yes. All right.
3: Now that's Enjoy where we should good. broadcast. There you go. There we, <laughs> we go. got to find a ourselves a couch. Yeah. yeah,
6: I like that. That Was is it? a good area. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's a fun area.
1: Visiting with Trevor Gooby and and Trevor, I, I know what it's like to make a few changes around the Riz Hacienda. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, this is your house, isn't it? I mean, T-Mobile Park is your home, and it, it must take tremendous logistics and a lot of work and a lot of people to make these changes uh during a what turns out to be a very quick off season doesn't it
6: yeah you know with um we did the big christmas event this off season with enchant and so you know as soon as um that event ended we've been able to really um focus on all these upgrades and and uh, necessary improvements that we have and it's been a we have a great team that's behind this and uh everything right now is on schedule to be ready by opening day which is always exciting that's our goal So it's going to be great. It's probably the largest year of capital projects that we've ever done um, at the ballpark. So um, I think fans will be really impressed once they come through the gates and see some of these new features and, and some of these things that will just make their experience at the ballpark that much better.
1: Well, Trevor, I know it's, it is going to be outstanding for the fans and you do a great job to uh, get uh, our home ready T-Mobile park for the fans on uh, March the 26th, when we open up at home against the Texas Rangers. So, Uh, I know you're still going to be busy for the next uh, month or so getting ready for opening day, but thanks for joining us tonight here on Hot Stove, buddy.
6: There's 24 hours in the day, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I think so. You're you're using them all up, buddy. Get some sleep.
6: We'll be ready for you.
1: All right. Trevor, thanks a lot.
6: See you guys soon.
1: Trevor Gooby, senior VP of uh, Ballpark Operations. This reminder, baseball returns to T-Mobile with opening day on Thursday, March the 26th. As the Mariners make their 2020 debut against the Rangers, be on hand for team introductions, fireworks, and good times as we welcome back baseball to Seattle. Great seats remain at Mariners.com. And Trevor Gooby and his crew right now very busy making sure that you have a great vantage point and a great time out of T-Mobile Park when you come out there, hopefully, on opening day, March the 26th. We'll be back with uh, a guy that covers uh, the Mariners and has for a long time from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Greg Johns will join us. Greg is already down in Arizona getting ready for pitchers and catchers to report tomorrow. We'll be back with Greg as Hot Stove continues after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on
0: 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle
1: Sports app everybody, single game tickets are on sale right now, which means you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day, series against the Yankees, Phillies, and World Series champion Washington Nationals, plus more fireworks shows than ever before. Stop on by mariners.com today. Hot Stove 2020 continues. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill Jr. and Ryan Roland-Smith. And our special guest right now in the uh, back half hour of the second hour of the program is Greg Johns from MajorLeagueBaseball.com, who... Does a great job covering the ball club. Greg, welcome to uh, Hot Stove, and you're already busy. Tell us about the newest Mariners edition: of veteran outfielder in Carlos Gonzalez.
7: Rick, they finally brought in a guy that's that's uh, that's that's older than 21. I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is he? 31.
7: Car- Cargo's 34. Oh, so, uh, yeah, he's 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 a gray hair in this group. But uh, yeah, they, they, they I mean they got to have somebody that's been around a little bit, and, and uh, Carlos Gonz- Gonzalez is a guy who's uh, yeah, you know, three-time All Star and, and uh, you know one of the big big names in in Rockies baseball history and and uh, a super guy and a real uh, a leader type guy that uh, I think is going to going to be well received by the young outfield group because their outfield is you know I mean they got they got Very basically young. Malik Malik Smith yeah. twenty six and he's the old man out there and and a bunch of rookies around him so Cargo uh, you know he, he's he's getting up there he didn't have a great year last year uh in uh with with the indians and cubs uh struggled quite a bit offensively and, and i was looking for work and uh and they said hey we could we could use a, a guy who's been around the block a few times and they're bringing him in here to, to kind of help out the young
3: guys greg you make a great point because when you look at not only the 25 man or 26 man the 40 man it's really young but also there aren't a lot of veterans have been invited to camp either now outside of cargo is it it looks like a very unusual spring compared to years past.
7: Amazingly so, and I don't honestly don't can't remember one quite like it. I I look around and, and uh, aside from Kyle Seager uh, in the lineup, you know, D Gordon's going to be in camp, but I don't know if he's going to be playing a lot. I mean, you're basically rolling out three or four rookies uh, in position players, uh, a couple other guys that, that you know in their first year, really full time starting. You know, guys like J.P. Crawford and, and uh, Shed Long and. And uh, Tom Murphy, you know, those guys, uh, we think they're the old guys now, but they, you know, they, yeah. they were not even starting at the start of last year. <laughs> and, and Shed Long, you know, barely just not a rookie this year, just barely over the limit to, to for rookie status. So, you know, it, it is amazing what they're going to try to do here, uh, how it plays, I don't know, but it's going to be fascinating, I think, to watch and, and watch these kids develop.
2: Hey, with Back on uh, Carlos Gonzalez, I mean, you look at some of the years he's put up, you know, superstar with the Colorado Rockies. What do you think? You know, is is the biggest reason for that decline we saw last year in twenty nineteen you know, with the new team, the Indians, and with the Cubs.
7: You know, I'm looking forward to talking to Targo because I, I I don't I don't know. That's a great question, Ryan. Uh, I don't know that if he was fully healthy. I mean, I, he's he's 34 now. Obviously, he's, he's been kicking around for a while. Uh, he, he did drop uh, a little bit in in 2018. His numbers started de- decline some, but uh, still fairly representative and, and last year you know he, he got cut by both the Indians and and cubs uh and so he was he was trying to hit two hundred for the season and and uh yeah i i don't know whether he wasn't healthy or just it's just getting up there in age but uh that that's the first question uh obviously we're gonna have after cargo is he, has he got anything left and obviously that's what this camp is going to be about both you know I, they're not just bringing him in for mentorship but, you know with mitch Haniger out you know was a There's an opening in right field that that right now, you know, probably Jake Fraley and Braden Bishop are looking at, and and, uh, neither one of those kids have played very much. So, you know, I'm sure he's coming in here saying, hey, I I got a chance to still play some ball.
1: Yeah, and I think Jerry DePoto, too, uh, Greg, is also staying true to a couple of things. Number one, giving the kids an opportunity. Number two, what veterans he is going to be bringing in, like uh, Carlos Gonzalez and also Kendall Graveman, guys that are looking for a rebound year in their careers.
7: Sure. I mean, guys, you know, I think Taiwan Walker's pondering it now, where he's going to sign. You know, these guys at that point in their career, they're looking, you know, they're looking to play. They're looking to to, to extend life and and of course make money. So it's it's important for guys, you know, I think they, they weigh these things heavily and you, you still see a few guys like Taiwan trying to figure out where the right spot is. Kendall Graveman decided early that, Hey, this was a, a spot he could come in and maybe revive his career after Tommy John surgery and, and see what he can do. Uh, you know, there's always guys that, that they're looking for, be a part of the team and also that that opportunity to play.
3: What do you think of the big storylines in the early days of camp here?
7: Hmm. <laughs> I think Julio Rodriguez is going to come in and light things up. I think people huh. are going to be fascinated by by him and Kelnick just to, just to watch. But uh, to me, I mean, those guys are obviously you know, part of the future. But if you're looking at this year, I mean, it's almost like uh, I look at this team. It's like Kyle Lewis. It's almost forgotten. Uh, you know, this guy. It came on like gangbusters in yeah. September, and everybody's talking about Julio and and Kalnick. Like, well, Kyle Lewis is this guy's going to be playing every day, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how he comes in and, and shares. Uh, uh, Jake Fraley coming back, uh, you know, had some struggles at the end of last year, but the, they're real high on Jake. Uh, interesting to see how he does. I just think the you can't get away from this is Camp Discovery to me. I mean, it's what, what these young guys can be and what they're going to show you know shed long can he can he play second base evan white i mean the kid's barely played above double a in his current. he's gonna be starting first baseman uh you know can can he hold up under that pressure hey he's he's got the best glove first base i've seen since older on this in this franchise so i I don't have any doubt he's gonna wow people at first with his glove but uh you know there's a lot of pressure on a kid at that age to come in and hit and uh you know, he can't get bogged down and trying to put up big numbers right off or, or get get bogged down and if he doesn't get off to a great start, you know it's it's going to be how guys like him survive getting thrown into the fire and and Major uh, League Baseball and how they how they come out of that. It's going to be a lot of a lot of proving ground this year and it, uh it's going to be an interesting season.
2: That's one of my favorite parts about spring training is you know the battles that go on, especially pitching. Greg, what do you think? The back end of that rotation, who's in the mix? Spots number four and five. You, you mentioned Graveman. Yeah, coming back from Tommy John, you got Justice Sheffield and Dunn. Who, who do you think's in that mix with those guys with with uh, four and five?
7: Well, I I don't think they want to break camp with Justin Dunn, but he may force their hand if he's just looks like he's ready. And I, I think he's the guy. Ultimately, is going to be that that other guy. But uh, I, I sense that they'd kind of like to slow play him a little bit. You know, he came up at the end of last year and. and made four starts but it was pitching like an inning or two an outing that kind of kid gloved him uh and and, you know he's been in double a uh i think they'd kind of like to start him in triple a but he may force their hand uh uh uh, nick margine i'll leave rick riz to pronounce this since he's got to do it on the air (laughs) (laughs) there it is thank you rick (laughs) you're you're welcome buddy i I, I try to type it and i have trouble with that too but uh Pronouncing, it, but the young kid that was was starting with the Padres last year made yeah. a big jump from Class A ball, and, and had a, had a pretty rough go in San Diego, making that big jump. But uh, but he'll get a shot. To, uh, and uh, Nestor Cortez, Phillips Valdez. I mean, these are these are guys that they uh, you know they they signed here uh, over the offseason to give a look to. So you know we'll see. I mean, they you know you know they're bringing in uh, uh, the kid from uh, Korea. Uh, he has been around Toronto, to, uh, uh, No, Toronto and Chen, Wei and Chen,
1: uh, Chen. Chen, Chen. Chen. Yeah. thank you, thank Chen. you.
7: Yeah, yeah, Wei and Chen, who was a, a heck of a starter in with the Orioles uh, huh. for four years back and from what 2012 to 15 or 16, and signed a big deal with the uh, Marlins. Uh, I it was it's 80 million for five five years. And, didn't put up the numbers there. In fact, still uh, they still owe him $22 million, so uh, the Mariners signed him on a, on a minor league deal, and, and he's a guy with a lot to prove with, the, with, the, with a track record in his history. So, you know, it's guys like that, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of this, this spring and see what they can do.
1: Bullpens are always important, more so now in the last few years, and now you got guys as openers, and you got a lot of guys looking for an opportunity. We saw so many pitchers get an opportunity last year. Carl Edwards, Jr., is going to get a you know a chance to uh, you know bounce back a, as well. T- tell me a little bit about your thoughts about the bullpen and how wide open it is down there for a lot of guys to <laughs> break break the break camp with the club.
7: That, that is, is to me the toughest. I and you know, I can pencil out where they're going with their lineup and, and their rotation, but the, the bullpen you're yeah. almost throwing throwing darts at that thing. Uh, uh, they don't have a a, a guy that's a a name closer. I think Matt McGill probably comes in as the favorite. Yeah. He was closing at the end of last year and did a nice job for him. Uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, Hirano that they signed from the D-Backs. as was a closer in Japan. Uh, a little bit of closing it with the D-Backs. Uh, uh, might be in the mix. Sam Tueva I think, will get a, a chance there to be a late inning guy. Uh, Carl Edwards, big arm, but struggled last year, uh, brought in from the Cubs, and we'll see where he can, where he can fit in. But I I think it's going to be a lot of young guys. I think the spring in that bullpen, I think that's where those young guys are going to just have all kinds of chances. That Sam Della playing the real high on. Big Art Warren that we saw last, in last year was the, was the closer at AA Arkansas. He's going to have a chance to make some noise. Uh, Get a chance to see this Wyatt Mills, a sight armor out of Gonzaga, pretty, pretty interesting young guy. just uh, you know, they just got names down there that I think we're going to learn this this spring. This Joey Gerber, young big kid out of uh, out of it was in Double last year. These are the guys that I think where the future lies. And, and uh, again, it's kind of like the theme with this whole team is, is how fast they they come and the, the chance of what they can see see what they can do this year.
3: Greg, that's no joke. Because. There's about 20 guys, legit 20 guys, where you could say, yeah, it wouldn't surprise you either way if they're in the bullpen or not on the opening day roster to start the season. Exactly, it's a long list. Yeah,
7: yeah. I mean, I, you, the, the kid they signed the Rule Five kids a big arm out of Houston, uh, Johan Ramirez. Yeah, there. oh yeah. Uh, you know, Gerson Batista we were looking at last spring is the big name and throwing throwing bullets and 100 mile an hour fastball. And, you know he's it's hardly on the radar now because that list is so long, but he's coming back. You know, uh, you know Brandon Brennan, the kid, nice, nice mm-hmm. is the real five guy last year. Danny Altabili is back, and yeah. just you know, there's just a flock of them, and and that competition I think is is going to be pretty interesting. There's just going to be probably a lot of a lot of guys are going back and forth between Tacoma and Seattle this year, and kind of sit shuffling that thing out and see who emerges.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned. Um uh, Delaplane. I know Jerry was pretty vocal about him being a big surprise in spring training. You know what do we know about him? And you, I, I got a chance to see Wyatt Mills in November playing for Team USA over in Japan. But what what stands out to you to you and Jerry DePoto about Delaplane making that jump from from Double A last year?
7: Well, I I think with just his pitch efficiency. He's a strike thrower, uh, and what he did in the Arizona Fall League really opened some eyes. Uh, he had a big year. He, he was he was lights out at Arkansas, and, and uh, I mean we're talking a kid that that I uh, think his ERA was under was under, uh, it's like point four nine or something like that uh, at uh, at Arkansas. Then he went to Arizona Fall League against the top prospects in, in baseball, and and uh, and uh, had an outstanding um, run there as well. So uh, he's not a big guy. Um, he, he's I uh, he's about five eleven, you know, weighs one hundred seventy eight hundred eighty pounds. So he's not gonna. Off the bus and knock you over, but uh, but he he's a strike thrower and twenty uh, third round draft pick, so he's kind of a kid that's that's come out of nowhere and, and really risen up the the charts fast on their prospect list. So yeah, Sam Delaplane, uh, keep an eye on that name too.
1: Visiting with Mariners beat writer Greg Johns from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Greg, we we're fortunate we get an offseason. You don't you don't get much of an offseason. You're covering baseball twenty four seven with all the changes. You know, from the time the World Series. Ends until pitchers and catchers report, which, by the way, is tomorrow. You are getting ready for that? How How does a writer get ready for spring training, or or do you kind of hit the ground running because you are so busy over the last few months? A lot of wind sprints, Rick. <laughs> <lot of wind laughs> yeah. Got to
3: be in the best shape of your life tomorrow. Tossing—that's what's important. <laughs> Tossing tires around. I've seen it. He, like he
2: posts on Twitter all the time. His workouts.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> I, you know what i uh spring training for me is is uh, this year is going to be going in and and, and learning these guys uh, and i've tried to to breed up on them uh, brush up on them I'm, I'm going to be meeting a lot of these guys for the first time these young kids that uh you know i've been reading about as well i mean he asked me about sam dell playing you know hey i've never seen the kid pitch you know so yeah let's let's bring it on let's start seeing what they got so uh, first step for me, probably like, uh, you guys is, is learning names and faces when, when you get in the clubhouse, uh, uh, you know, it's always a new group. You know, this, this, there wasn't as much off season turnover this year, but what there is is the new guys coming up that, uh, that, that'll be in camp for the first time and, and those guys. So. Yeah, I mean it's, it's uh, off season with with DePoto is always fun because he's always making it interesting. This year was was a little quieter. It was a little different that way. We yeah. didn't have a transaction every 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 day or two, but uh, but we still <laughs> still were turning out stories and still uh, looking forward to some baseball and then uh, yeah, they report tomorrow on the field uh, the day after. So getting getting ready to get after it.
1: Exactly, Greg. You do a great job covering this ball club. It's going to be a fun spring, I think. Watching these kids play, it will be a land of opportunity, I think that's going to be the mantra the theme of this uh, camp because so many players will get a chance to get to the big leagues for the first time. And for a few that got a chance to get there last year, they get a chance to you know, get that experience under the belt and really make an improvement like Kyle Lewis and Jake Fraley and Braden Bishop and Shed Long and and so many others. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be an interesting spring. I really do. Young guys
7: are always exciting. It's fun to see that play out.
1: Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us here on Hot Stove tonight. We will see you uh, in the next uh, next few days. We'll get down to spring training. So thanks a lot, buddy.
7: I uh, look forward to seeing you guys.
1: All right, Greg Johns from MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and we'll be back with more on Hot Stove right after this.
0: All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app.
3: Welcome back to The Hot Stove. Jerry Hill, Ryan Roland-Smith, Rick Riz. Ryan, I'm so glad you're here uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, you're great company. But uh, Marco Gonzalez just signed the deal. And I love talking. We do this on the post-game show all the time with the broadcast. We we love talking Marco. So. <laughs> I got to get your thoughts on Marco Gonzalez signing his extension. I think it's great. I mean, I, I think it's a no-brainer, um, you know,
2: and, and I had a chance to, to, to sit down with him. I really – every time I went down to the, the locker room during the season to go talk to him, he was always scattered somewhere, so I never really had that good chance to, to talk to him because it's fascinating. You know, you and I talked before uh, we jumped on for the hot stove about it's good to see guys like Marco Gonzalez have success – in this generation of, of baseball. The guy, he works hard. He's come back from a really serious injury. He really he, – he has a big heart. I know that sounds, you know, kind of kooky whatever, but it's one of these things that he he's so invested in this organization and this team. I got a chance to sit down with him for an hour, and, and that was just spilling out of him. So it was fun to see. I was back in Australia when,
3: when I saw the news, and I was so happy for him. Yeah, that was a great conversation, by the way. I mean, you said – It was a long, deep conversation with Marco, which was fabulous. There's a couple of things that really stood out to me, and a couple of parts I really enjoyed. One is kind of combined, him talking about analytics and how he goes about using the analytics, and the other was about spring training because it's so often we hear the term the pitcher is working on things. But I mean, what does that really mean? And Marco kind of breaks it down.
8: I think going into pro ball, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to be a big leaguer. Um, I don't know if I had specific dreams of like I'm gonna be a front line ace, because truthfully, I didn't think I was, I didn't think I was gonna have that in me, and and I didn't know what it was gonna be like getting there. So um, I think I knew, you know, I had a lot of advice to, you know, cherish the experience, cherish the journey. Um, That's kind of what it's about, and you know, go day by day. But I think looking back, I mean, it's things like that where. I've heard that my whole life. Right. I mean, I had—I told you—I have had guys sit, scouts sit in my living room, and tell me to call them when I hit ninety. So, so you say read, you and, read say, this and stuff. say and say I've heard it. Yeah. I've, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. it's hard to be blind. It's hard to turn a, turn away from it. Yeah. Um. But things like that, where you know, you, we know who we are as people, and we know what we can do. And I think when I think of someone that's that's saying, I just think it's just it's ignorant. And I think right. you can never put an expectation or projection on someone because you don't know what's inside of them and so I think uh I I mean I enjoy I enjoy proving people wrong It's, it's been one of the joys of my career is um you know having people come up to me and say you know we're 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 thankful that you're here and you know it it worked out and and um I think you know that's that's what's been great about being here is that I can I've had that shot again to prove some people wrong and and hopefully I can continue to do that because that's been – that's one of the joys of my career.
2: Do you ever sit back and say, man, this is – I can't believe what I've done? Like, do you, do you ever – are you in shock of what you've done? Or are you are like, oh, I was supposed to do this?
8: No, I, I don't think – I don't think of it like I, I was supposed to do this. But I think there's a level of – I'm trying to make it normal. Yeah. I'm trying right. to, every day, I'm trying to just push forward yeah. and not not think gotcha. about. It's like when you're, it's like in free solo, you know, yeah. like <laughs> at the top, the guy's not like, oh man, like this is impressive. I've made yeah. it this far. It's like, no, you just keep climbing, you know? Yeah. And, and so um, I think it's, it's one of those things where I look back and it's been, there's so much has happened, but I think yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm thankful because all of that has created this, this atmosphere and this this the character of who i am now i wouldn't be where i am if that didn't happen
3: we'll get to the comments about spring and analytics in a second but i love that one too and i mean the free solo is a nice drop (laughs) in there everyone should see that at some point but uh balance is the word when i think of him right yeah
2: and and some of the the quotes i actually read him quote read him quotes from when the trade happened 2017 when he was traded over and yeah and not 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 to you know take him back to you know any kind of place where people were being negative about him or, or you know but i was I was trying to just trying to gauge his reaction because this guy thrives off proving people wrong mm-hmm. that's what I love about him yeah. and and even you know when you talk about it, the guy's coming off two extremely solid years in the big leagues, the last one you know after two thousand and eighteen everyone's like well the health you know, it could be hit a wall in, in the month of August. There could be a health issue with market. And then he said, he just, all right, answer that bell. And guess what? Yeah. Not one day on the IL, 200 plus innings. There's like seven guys who got the 200 inning mark. Yeah, and there's, so, there's 34 appearances. Yeah. There's so much value in that. So I had to bring up some things from when he first came to the Mariners, some of the quotes that I found. He loved it. I mean, we, we had a great chat and a lot of it was to do with that.
1: I love what he said about expectations. He said, how can you put expectations on somebody when you don't know who they are inside? You take a look at this kid. It looks like he's in middle school, but he is a bulldog. (laughs) He's a Gonzaga bulldog, but when he takes the mound, he wants to beat the heck out of you. And you love that determination, that grit. Uh, I remember Jamie Moore always saying, you know, when I get in trouble, I'm still only one pitch away, maybe from getting out of trouble. He has that same attitude. Felix had that same grit, that same determination when he went on the mound and battled and battled and battled like crazy, this kid is cut from the same mold, and that's why I love Marco Gonzalez.
2: And there's one point, and you're going to talk about spring training. Yeah, you know, the, during the 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 chat we we sat down and you talked about you know, having that mindset, the, the 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 mentality. I mean, and we talked a lot about analytics and spring training, how he uses analytics. It's a big part of the game now, and so many guys rely so heavily on what numbers the iPads giving back to them. But he comes from a place, that, that, that feel place. He has to feel
3: it first, and yeah. and it was refreshing to hear
2: that. And that's why he's having so much success.
3: Yeah, let's hear him talk about spring and analytics.
8: So I, I use it when I want to fine-tune something. Um, you know, And spring training is the perfect time because we're still building up strength. Um, you're making those adjustments. You know, you have a little bit more um, relaxed game setting to be able to work on things. So those are great times at bullpens. Um, you know, they're standing out there with iPads. And you know, I I think I've developed a relationship with with uh, some of our staff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, they know when I want things. They know that they don't want to they don't want to drown me with numbers. Yeah. I want a couple things here and there that I can use yeah. to make a pitch better. And you got to be able to translate it to me. You got to be able to tell me, hey, like. This is what this is. And DeLunas does a great job of that, too. Okay. He's he's a good translator for the data to the personal side, the pitching side, because you tell a guy, hey, this is your RPMs and this is this, and it's like, how do I use that? Okay. What do I? And I think that's the stigma for most guys, and especially older guys in the game, is tell me how to use it because when I'm out on the mound, I'm not thinking about spin rate. I'm thinking about Getting the guy out, gotcha. so it can't. At the end of the day, analytics can't be just the numbers. It has to be the application of it yeah. and what you do, and how you tr- and how you talk about it. I mean, it has to be. There has to be a, an intention behind it.
2: Did you find things out about yourself? And like when the numbers come out, do they say, "Hey man, dude, yeah. your fastball." Your two seam fastball sucks compared to this.
8: Or obviously, I'm not. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's. And and I've told people, I want you to be honest with me because that's the only way we're going to get better. I don't want you to be like, hey, like it's okay, like you know, it's it's not bad, but it's not great. Like, no, tell me honest. Yeah. But I I think this past year, um, the second half, we talked a little bit about my fastball. How I felt that it started to jump a little bit and it started to get better. Um, Our coaches started telling me my spin rate was getting better i was getting behind the ball more my forcing was getting better ride so i said hey like if you like it pitch pitch up in the zone with that thing because you're going to get some swings and misses yeah. and sure enough i mean i started going up i started going up and into guys um brushing guys back and then ev- it made everything better yeah. so when there's a little something little in there that you can just a little bit at a time kind of implement that's i think what's important
1: great conversation with mariners pitcher marco gonzalez with uh, ryan roland smith and it was so so much fun to see him have that success last year. The 16 wins we mentioned, the 34 starts, getting to that 200 yeah. innings is a heck of a plateau. Where can uh, fans uh, listen to the rest of that uh, the entire interview? I'm
2: going I'm to post the whole thing most likely early next week. I just want to make sure you know by when spring training started. But um, you can find it on iTunes uh, if you follow the Twitter account at hyphen18. I'll have all the details up there for you because I haven't quite because I've got the video of it too. Him and I sitting there. I got a chance nice. to hang out with him during his workout. So we, we filmed that. It was a great session. He, he, he's so good to talk
3: to. He is yeah. so I've listened to Smart. it. It's, it's a fantastic conversation and well worth it. He's such a thoughtful guy. Yeah. It's, it's fun to listen to. Yeah, I love listening yeah. to Marco. And I
1: tell you what, rewarded with that uh, four-year contract. Uh, yeah. And well-deserved. And he's going to be the anchor to that uh, starting rotation. Guys, good show, Gary. This is fun. Yeah. A lot of One fun. more next week. One more coming up uh, next Tuesday. Uh, I'll be in the hot tub. Yeah. Then hot hot <laughs> stove.
3: Hot stove. In uh, Arizona. Shifts to Cactus League report after That's
1: that. It. Exactly. So we we'll, go from
3: winter to spring, just like that.
1: Yeah. And we're all looking forward to getting down to the sun in Peoria, Arizona, to the Peoria Sports Complex. Pitchers and catchers reporting tomorrow. That's always one of the big biggest days of the year. And uh, it's going to be a fun and interesting spring. Gary, great show tonight. Hey, it was With fun. The lineup: Ryan Roland Smith. Thanks you for in joining Arizona. us. Good to see you guys again. Yeah, DJ. Thank you so much hitting all the right buttons over there. I'm Rick Riz saying so long, everybody. Hot stove 2020 will continue next week. So long, everybody from the Cairo 710 studios.